I was feeling optimistic, and then you turned me pessimistic again. Was... I'm about to turn you optimistic again. Okay, fantastic. I was feeling optimistic having read that stuff from 1800 and realizing, okay, we were just as bad with our politics and our our um, our partisanship and and you know confirmation bias and everything back then as we are now. Mm-hmm. And somewhere in between, we got it right again. So. But then comes uh, and it goes. But then looking at the smash no windows and everything, the various big cities and how little is being done to stop it, and how half the country is perfectly okay with it. It's, uh, now I'm back to feeling negative again. Well, here's a little bit of optimism, but just a little. There are what are zombie corporations? That's what? coming up later this afternoon. What zombie corporations? There are an increasing number of. Black intellectuals, writers, journalists, business leaders who are coming out and saying, whoa, 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 these lunatics don't speak for me. I don't agree with these people. Of course, Black Lives Matter, but Black Lives Matter, the organization, they're crackpots. They're Marxists. This is not me talking, although I I will say that if you'd like me to. Um, This is folks like, in this case, Jason Whitlock who is uh, one of the nation's great sports writers and often uh, goes outside the world of sports to talk about what's happening in the world. And, man, did he unleash it over the weekend. And we'll have a link for this at armstrongandgetty.com. The headline is LeBron, Mookie, and MLB, Major League Baseball, promote divisive corporate-approved BLM lifestyle. And he describes the situation uh, when Major League Baseball kicked off this last uh, few days. MLB returned Thursday evening on its knee, placating the Black Lives Matter mob with head pats, belly rubs, butter biscuits, and other pet treats. How's that for an opening? Woo! Wow. Pet treats. He mentions uh, the Yankees and Nationals taking uh, batting practice in BLM t-shirts, BLM on the back of the pitcher's mound here and there. Uh, Dodgers outfielder Mookie Betts, one of the richest athletes in sports, kneeled during the playing of the anthem. Um, that's kind of a cheap shot. It's not his fault that he's really good at his job and gets paid a lot. But no. um, I found the whole thing sad, embarrassing, and patronizing. It crystallized America's pervasive lack of substance. Imagine Brooklyn Dodgers general manager Branch Rickey signing Jackie Robinson to be a mascot rather than a second baseman. That's what BLM is at this point. Corporate America's lovable mascot, a decorative symbol to be bought and plastered on a field to ward off accusations of systemic racism. Um, when fans return to the ballpark, commemorative I'm not racist t-shirts, ball caps, and jerseys will be available to the public for just twenty nine ninety nine. We used to fight for opportunity, a chance to compete at the highest level athletically, academically, financially. Now we're fighting for public pandering and payoffs to charities that fight social injustice with highly compensated speaking engagements. It's insulting. Are we really that cheap, that clueless? Have we come so far that there's so little to do that symbolic gestures and eight-figure checks to the National Rainbow Action Network for the advancement of media people are all that's left to do? These gestures don't fight discrimination. They won't prevent the next batch of riots. In fact, all the pandering guarantees another way of riots. The rioters have been rewarded. Then he goes on some detail. Um, To see the two WNBA teams that walked off the court during the National Anthem or before the National Anthem? Nobody noticed. Uh, no, I did not hear that. That's disgusting. They walk completely off the court. The rioters have been rewarded. The bigots painted with broad brushes. The ones vilifying all police and all white people watched Thursday's ICE Justice Challenge and felt emboldened. 
Uh, they'll wait for the mainstream media and celebrity influencers to reveal the next piece of viral video intended to trigger their emotions. Meanwhile, LeBron James and his Orlando bubbled NBA cohorts plan to keep the emotional pot simmering with constant references to Breonna Taylor, the Louisville woman caught in a hail of police gunfire during a failed drug bust, which is an absolutely terrible case. Um, there's no risk in taking a knee, especially when you've signed a gigantic contract. The kneelers aren't mimicking John Carlos and Tommy Smith at the 1968 Olympics. Uh, let's see. There's one more part I wanted to hit you with. Um, back to Brianna Taylor. Her death was tragic. Um, now nah, that gets into too much detail than we have time for right now. James is grandstanding, meaning LeBron James. He's keeping the racial animus warm until the next Cops Gone Wild video. That's the purpose of Black Lives Matter. Racial animus. We know the movement cares nothing about the thousands of black lives lost to non-white perpetrators. BLM's mission is to provoke racial tension. LeBron James said, when you're black, BLM is not a movement, it's a lifestyle. Wow, James is frighteningly lost in secular values. He represents a generation of young people detached completely from religious faith. Christianity is a lifestyle. Islam is a lifestyle. Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Confucianism. Black Lives Matter is a political offshoot of Marxism with the goal of disrupting the nuclear family. LeBron James is the head of a nuclear family and has tremendous influence over young people. The repair of the black family structure should be the top priority for anyone with legitimate concern for the welfare and future of black American lives. Hmm. And he goes on. That's uh, an excellent point to make. It, it really is. Really, LeBron, you're promoting Marxism, which wants to tear apart your family in favor of the state raising your children, LeBron? Really? God, the Ignorance is just astounding, and all the nice suburban white ladies who are just so down and so excited to be such a good-hearted activist, they have no freaking idea what they're talking about. For our older listeners, Mike Ditka was a big deal in sports back in the day. He was a uh, Hall of Fame player for the Bears, then a coach when they won a Super Bowl in the 80s, which I was reminded 1980 is 40 years ago. So uh, We need to check that math. That's not possible. <laughs> anyway, Mike Ditka, ancient coach said kneeling athletes should get the hell out of the country over the weekend in an interview. There you go, Iron Mike. I go back and forth on this. Uh, I really do. And I don't I don't know which is the right answer. Um, I'm both sides of the talk radio argument in my own head. Yeah. Saves us, you know, booking boring guests. You know, it's it's the great thing about this country is you have the ability to, uh, to do this sort of thing. And uh, improvement is, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. All that sort of stuff. Sure. On the other hand, the whole... This country is so awful, I can't stand for its national anthem. Get the F out, then. Find a better country. Go to the better country. Mm -hmm. So I go back and forth. Go play ball there. I go back and forth. Yeah, I I agree completely, although it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a false dichotomy. It's a false choice. Number one, you absolutely can protest in any way you see fit. God bless this great country for that. The secret police are not going to round you up. You're not going to disappear into a Venezuelan prison. On the other hand, a lot of you are completely wrong what you're protesting for and in favor of. You're just wrong. And and secondly, you're making me not like your TV show anymore, especially because you're wrong. And so I'm gone from the TV show. I'm not call. I'm not saying these people should be jailed or have their living taken away or whatever. But I'm not watching. Screw you. I'm not sure the WNBA hurt themselves that much. No. Well, luckily, they didn't have to change anything. There were no fans in the stands, but... Mm. <laughs> I, 
shouldn't say that. That's not nice. That is not nice. Why would you be so mean? Well, I got into sexism, dis- misogyny. I, I got clearly. into a discussion with this uh, with a woman the other day who uh, who uh, who just she doesn't find women's sports that compelling mm-hmm. um, as a woman, and we we're just discussing that. And I think I think there is something um, to the idea that a lot of sports, particularly. Well, a lot of sports, just in general, they're, they're kind of a simulation of, of, of battle, of war, of, you know, our village beating your village or whatever. And, you know, anthropologically, that's just generally men. We want to see that our or, men are better than your men. Right. Or our village hit your coconut a long way, and then we're going to run around your village as fast as we can. Baseball. <laughs> Quite sure the origins of that game, but um, no, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I don't. I don't know. I think that that's where some sports comes from. It's just, oh yeah, our men are tougher than your men. So sure, we... stronger, faster, more athletic. I met a guy yesterday. Yeah, seven feet tall. Ooh. I figured he had to be in sport, but he wasn't in sport. Hard to believe he didn't get elected. He didn't win. Nope. Uh, well, uh, throwing spears and stuff. Uh, baseball certainly stimula- simulates that. There's not a lot of that mm-hmm. in modern warfare. Uh, I want to leave time to talk about zombie corporations because I found this uh, really compelling uh, opinion piece that was in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend about how these endless bailouts are ruining capitalism and giving younger generation a reason to to want to be socialists. This is from the Wall Street Journal. Right. Right. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, so stay tuned for that, among other things. Um, One more note on women's sports. All right. There are some that are excellent, quite compelling. Women's soccer. Very, very good. Women's tennis, terrific. But then you get to a big, strong, fast sport like basketball or 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 football. Actually, women's softball, partly because they shrink the field, is is pretty action packed too. But you get to the big, strong, fast sports. And How about roller derby and the <laughs> excellent and the women's version is not nearly as compelling, and people don't go and people don't care. And then you have your nut job feminist coalition who says that somehow sexism or wrong or whatever. No, the big, strong, fast sports. Sorry, gals, uh, not not as good. But again, there are some that are terrific. So yeah, quit with your false accusations of this ism and that ism. I've had enough. I'm an I, I'm an ismist. If I hear an accusation of some ism, I'm against you. I dislike you. How come there's not men's roller derby? Because they would just kill people, kill each other. I still don't understand how they keep score. <laughs> Somebody got to explain that before I have an opinion on the men women thing. What are zombie corporations? Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Tom Petty, who died, what, a couple of years ago now. We had three celebrity deaths over the weekend. The old lady from Gone with the Wind, which I will not watch because it uh, promotes racism. Mm. Um, Brave stance. Regis Philbin, who hosted Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and Regis and Kathy Lee, and a million other things. Fascinating guy. One of the best broadcasters I've ever seen. Yeah, one of the best. A United States Marine, too, if I'm not uh, mistaken on that. Uh, Yeah, hell of an interesting man. And said to be every bit as good a guy as it seemed on TV. Cool. Yeah. I don't particularly care about old movie stars. That's from the era when we were (laughs) supposed to give a damn about actors. I don't care. Um, interesting article in the Wall Street Journal uh, over the weekend. Actually, I think it's out today. Opinion piece by a guy who's uh, international money dude for Morgan Stanley. 
But the piece was about zombie corporations and how we've gotten to this habit of bailing out companies and it's going to be the doom of capitalism and it's what's turning on young people to socialism. It's pretty interesting. Hmm. Um, It's something that started in the 80s where... and, and the whole world is doing this. We lead the way. People, we, we, we're the cue for everybody. Um, this is the biggest economy and all that. But um, the idea of a recession has gone from, eh, it's part of the deal. just happens now and then to, we need to avoid this at any cost. <laughs> and the whole world is doing this. Right. Uh, I'll just read a little from the article. By 2019, only 7% of the nearly 200 economies tracked by the IMF, International Monetary Fund, were in recession, and only 3% were expected to fall into recession in 2020, a near record low. As governments stepped in to do whatever it took to eliminate recessions, downturns no longer purged the economy of inefficient companies, and recoveries of their phone foregrown weaker and weaker with lower productivity growth. Ah, what has happened during this pandemic is a story of the last four decades, telescoped into a matter of weeks and magnified to previously unimaginable scale. Four months after the market crashed amid warnings that lockdowns would trigger another Great Depression, governments have intervened as they never have before. Many rich countries have rolled out stimulus measures amounting to 10% of GDP or more. That means an even bigger role for the government, which will have to be funded out, be uh, funded by debt. Startups represent a declining share of all companies in the U.S. and many other industrialized companies. Before the pandemic, the U.S. was generating startups and shutting down established companies at the slowest rate since they've been keeping track of it. Hmm. Prior to COVID. Yeah. Okay. Today, an astonishing number of the surviving companies are quite literally creatures of credit. In the 1980s, only 2% of publicly traded companies in the United States, were considered zombie companies. That's a term used by the uh, Bank for International Settlements for companies that, over the previous three years, had not earned enough profit to make even the interest payments on their debt. Ah. In the other words, they're a failing company. <clears throat> and in a normal situation with the normal, you know, the way capitalism is supposed to work, they'd go out of business. But now what happens is a recession comes along or something, and we pump money into these zombie companies and keep them around, and their sticking around stops startups from being able to get started, and that's why we got the lowest number of that. Um, The zombie minority started to grow rapidly in the early 2000s, and by the eve of the pandemic accounted for 19% of U.S. listed companies are zombie companies. Yeah. What? Zombies are also spreading in Europe, China, and, of course, Japan, where this phenomenon first became apparent. With every crisis, more of these creatures of debt survive. The question is how much further capitalism will be deformed by government intervention on this scale. When the government is willing to buy just about anything, it distorts market prices, which normally guide people to buy profitable companies, promising companies. Now investors are simply buying what the Fed buys. The process of capital allocation, which is critical to uh, keeping track of which is a a company that's going to survive and which is not, is gone. We'll continue to create more zombies and monopolies, widening inequality, undermining productivity, and slowing growth. For all their good intentions, they will continue to feed the dysfunction that is alienating younger generations and deforming capitalism and making socialism seem so appealing. Wow. That's really interesting. It it is. 
And you got to admit, the way we treat, we've talked about this, the way we treat the idea of recession, oh my God, are we in recession? We could be in recession. Some people are predicting a recession next year. Remember when that happened last year? There are some people predicting a recession next year, like that would be the end of the world. Right. How many recessions have we all lived through? 20? 20. And you don't even remember them. No, of course not. And then, then they seem to be part of the cycle. They're necessary. And in normal times, we would let companies that... You know, weren't that profitable, weren't saving for the future, weren't innovating. They would go, they would yeah. fall apart and go by the eight wayside and innovative new companies doing that same, uh, b- b- service yeah. would come along with a better way to do it. But we have eliminated that with government socialism. A, a couple of quick thoughts. I mean, sorry, corporate socialism. Uh, two quick thoughts. Number one, I think, um, the, uh, the metaphor of, of heart disease is a good one. These zombie corporations are plaquing the arteries of the economy. And instead of clearing them out, we just let them build up and build up and build up, and it will cause a heart attack, an economic heart attack. And the second one is, uh, again, one of the most critical concepts to understand is is rent-seeking, where as the government be- plays a bigger and bigger role in the economy and in your life, the skill you must develop, the skill set, and anybody who lived in the Soviet Union can tell you this, the skill set is not innovation and smarts and, and serving your customers. The skill set you need to have is understanding where the government is routing money and either begging for it or skillfully defrauding the government out of it. And we are moving from an innovation economy to a rent-seeking economy. And it is the worst thing a country can do. And politicians have figured out you get to stay in office if you don't have a recession, and you get booted out of office if there is a recession. San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner next to talk about the crazy modern times. Major League Baseball's got a problem. Got a problem with the COVID. We'll talk more about that coming up with the cancel the game for tonight and one for tomorrow, I think. And here's your Armstrong and Getty daily quiz question. We don't have one of those, but if we did, this would be it. What is the largest American city in the U.S. with a Republican mayor? That's right. San Diego. And San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner joins us uh, now. Hello, uh, Mayor. How are you, sir? Gentlemen, good morning. Uh, great to be with you. Thank you. Oh, it's our pleasure. So, uh, listen, let's get right into the uh, very, very interesting times we're living in. Uh, uh, and it is a challenging time to be a, a big city mayor, I know. Uh, let's start with the COVID-19. What's your point of view on restrictions and masks and, and what uh, Governor Newsom in California is doing in opening schools, that sort of thing? Where does San Diego stand? Well, lots, lots in there. And I'll, and I'll tell you guys, one of the things that um, I've done, particularly uh, when it comes to small businesses here in San Diego, um, is, is to really be innovative, to be creative, uh, taking the approach that we have to keep our small businesses and our economy going. We have to keep folks employed. And so one of the things that we've done here in San Diego, I issued a series of executive orders a couple of weeks ago, trying to get creative to let restaurants come out to the, you know, the sidewalks, the parking lots, gyms, barbershops, others, places of worship. And because I will tell you, this is so difficult, particularly um, on these small businesses and folks that are struggling to survive. I'm doing everything I can to make sure that we have that infrastructure um, for them to return to work uh, once they're, in fact, allowed to. Amen to that. That is so good to hear. It's uh, fairly rare these days. Uh, what's the school situation? Because I think virtually every man, woman, and child in America wants the schools to be functioning. 
Well, they do. And I think, you know, every community wants a safe return, right, for, for teachers and for kids. And it's, it's, it's difficult, particularly for, you know, for working parents um, who are trying to plan what's going to happen, uh, you know, holding down a job, wondering about their kids. And, you know, I think what one of the things that I've really advocated for in, in San Diego is, is to have that, that local control based upon the facts of the ground here. Um, because whether you're talking about schools, whether you're talking about our economy, that kind of the one-size-fits-all approach um, is tough to do in a state that is so diverse uh, as ours. So, look, I think we ought to have common-sense rules. I think we ought to do it safely, but I think we ought to we ought to allow school districts and parents to be a big part of that on the local level. You know, you live in interesting times when you're, like, walking through a, uh, a business section of any city, and I, this happened in, uh, around the gas lamp in San Diego, but if you're walking through and you see boarded up windows and you don't, I want you and you think, I wonder if that's boarded up because the COVID drove them out of business or because a violent mob smashed the windows out. Could be either one. Uh, you haven't had to deal with the uh, the extent of violent mobs that some of the 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 uh, blue cities have, the the cities with Democrat mayors. What do you think they're doing wrong? What would you do in that situation? Look, you know, look, I'll, I'll tell you, we we try to we protect everybody's right for free speech here in San Diego, but of course, we're also going to enforce very clear rules of the road um, and protecting, uh, you know, people protecting property. I think that's incredibly, uh, incredibly important. And you know, look, a lot of the things that we're doing with our community policing and and you know, really out there working with folks as best we can. We're going to keep people safe, but again, we're going to enforce clear rules of the road here in San Diego. I think that served us. I think that served us well. Um, and, and, you know, it, look, it's important that you invest in your police department, gentlemen. We've done that in San Diego. You want to hire the best. You want to hire folks and give them the training so they're going to do the right thing on the job. That takes dollars. That takes effort. And that takes support. San Diego Mayor uh, Kevin Falconer is on the line. Uh, I understand you did an interview with CNN earlier today. Uh, those people aren't very bright, are they? Did you notice that? <laughs> they're, they're just Answer fine, that in full. Go on at length with us. <laughs> Okay, so he can foul off a curveball. We know that about his honor, the mayor. Now, uh, we understand protesters showed up your house at your house a couple of weeks ago. Uh, how'd that go? You know, that's unfortunately part of uh, reality these days. Um, look, it's it's uh, again, that's not going to change my views on doing the right thing uh, and making sure you know everything that we're doing. As I said, from our from our uh, police department to our public safety, and you know, helping to helping to make sure we're giving everybody the tools and the support that they need. Um, but I, you know, I, I've really, uh, really strove down here in San Diego to, to make sure that you know it's pretty open. I'm going to tell you exactly where I stand. I'm going to tell you what I think is the right thing for us to do. Um, and you know, sometimes you're going to have protesters that disagree. That's okay. But uh, I'm always going to push hard to do the right thing. We have listeners all around the country listening right now, astonished to hear a big city mayor making sense. So let's go ahead and throw you one more uh, tough pitch to hit, and that's that San Diego, like so many West Coast cities, has dealt with uh, a pretty significant homeless problem. Um, not only uh, folks out of work, et cetera, but lots of bums and junkies. Um, what, what's different about the way San Diego handles it, for instance, than, than other cities? Well, you know, guys, I'll tell you, we, we, we've taken a pretty direct approach. I think it's a compassionate approach. As, as I've said, it, it's not compassionate to let somebody live, sleep, and die on the street. Um, and, and so we have, I think, that right balance of we're going to have a place for you to go. We spent a lot of time on our bridge shelters. You know, homelessness was down 6% in San Diego this year. It was down 6% last year. I think we have an approach, again, that, that's working, that's in passion, compassionate. But, again, allowing, you know, I don't allow tents on the sidewalk in San Diego. That is not compassionate to do that. We want to give people the help. We want to give them the support. 
I think we're headed in the right direction. We certainly have a lot of a lot of work to do here in San Diego, but it's it's really going to ha- it's incredibly important that we keep people safe, particularly during this time of COVID. Uh, and I think we've had a a lot of success in that in San Diego thus far, um, taking that swift action to get folks you know in shelter in our convention center, all the positive tests but really working, again, to get them that place of their own. Right. And a place of their own is not out on the streets. So I can't just be a junkie and sleep on the streets and poop on the streets in San Diego? Well, no, look, that's, you know, that's, of course, that's not what anybody wants. And, Although you, and you have big cities, Kevin, that are full of that and policies that encourage it. And a lot of those policies are wrong. Yeah. And I'm very outspoken about it, guys, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. Because... When you look at what's happening, particularly in, in California, as we have taken what used to be, for example, a, a felony on doing heroin and methamphetamine, making that to a misdemeanor on our streets, I would suggest to you that's the wrong approach. <laughs> that, is, that is the wrong approach. You want to give people help. You want to give people support. But you need to have consequences for action. Again, it's not compassionate to let somebody live on the street addicted to substance abuse and others. That's not going to help anybody. San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner. Hey, uh, really enjoy the chat, Mr. Mayor. Let's do it again soon. Looking forward to it, guys. Thanks. Thanks Appreciate for the time. It. Yep, you got it. Well, how much? How does that contrast with your mayors of uh, Portlandia, of San Francisco, of Seattle? Oh, night and day. But isn't that interesting? You can see a boarded-up business. They go, I wonder if they went out of business because they weren't allowed to be in business or because the protesters Marxists were allowed to smash it. Yeah, Could be either. Right, right. Don't know. How odd. Uh, a fair amount of people unhappy with me saying the old lady from Gone with the Wind died. I'm not giving it more, you know, Hollywood's level sort of uh, Well, there are several respect. old ladies. Number one is very, very unspecific. Um, yeah, okay. I just, I just, you know, I never, it's funny, you don't know what you're going to say that, that sets off social media. And we got more texts on the old lady from Gone with the Wind died than, than anything I've said in the last half hour. We'll, we'll do a full retrospective in the 9 o'clock hour, everybody. Relax. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, we're not real reverent about actors around here, honestly. Olivia de Havilland was born in a log cabin in the year something or other. We're joined now by her third grade teacher who <laughs> noticed a spark early on. Olivia! Always enjoyed entertaining the class. <laughs> I'm sure she was a fine gal. Ugh. She was 104. That um, is old. Yeah, yeah. Lived a long life. God bless her. But mm-hmm. I am not going to. Uh, you know, I don't know. I suppose with certain <laughs> celebrities pass. It, it hits me a little harder. Sure, absolutely. Old timey movie stars, not so much. That's the thing just... with celebrities. I was going to mention that with the, th- the, the they die in three. I didn't even mention the third because I know no, most people don't care. But it's, oh. that was the biggest one to me. Peter Green of uh, Fleetwood Mac, the mm-hmm. original guitar player in Fleetwood Mac. I'm a huge Peter Green nut and singer too. He's a fabulous vocalist. But I've only become a Peter Green nut like in the last couple of years. But just huge on him, and he died over the weekend. But a celebrity is only a celebrity if you celebrate them. Right. I don't celebrate Olivia de Havilland. No. no. Um, so it means nothing to me. You probably don't celebrate uh, Peter Green, so it doesn't matter to you. Yeah, so maybe you shouldn't be so hurtful. I'm with the texters. That was terrible. <laughs> In retrospect, I'm angry. I'm triggered. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. You're, 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 it's not free speech, it's hate speech. That speech is violence. So I get to be violent against you. Anti-Olivia de Havilland bigot. 
They're right. unveiling a big another uh, help you all not starve and uh, get kicked out of your apartment package today. Ah, the big. Oh, that's the money machine. They're firing it back up. The federal money machine. It makes money out of air. Cranking that up. Some of the details on that, among other things, on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. In our interview last week with President Trump, he questioned whether his Democratic opponent, Joe Biden, could handle a similar encounter. Well, this week we asked the Biden campaign for an interview, and they said the former vice president was not available. We'll keep asking every week. There you go. Biden not going to do an interview with Chris Wallace. Who would... oh, that's chicken. I would do exactly the same thing. And if I was his campaign manager, I'd say, why would you do an interview? Why? Tell me. Tell me why you need to label this section of the podcast. Jack is in favor of cowardice. And just he just there's no pressure. There are, there's there's no uh, push factor for him to have to do an interview or have a press conference and ask tough questions, answer right. tough questions. It just isn't. Yep. Nobody's going to demand that of him. Yeah, it's it's really quite amazing. I was reading this art, the article in uh, Atlantic. Don't count Trump out. And to my mind, as I look through them, they're working pretty hard to come up with ways that Trump can win. I think there needs to be a changing event for it to happen. The polls where they are now, he's going to get. Killed in a historic fashion. Yeah. Well, the changing event might just be that the events that are going on right now recede. And I I think that'd be a huge change back to how it was in hazy, distant January. COVID goes away, economy's better. Right. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I don't know what that would do to the polls. Uh, I think the best change event that could happen for Trump is Biden comes out and has like, you know, three times in a row. Comes off as a, a crazy old man who barely knows where he is. Yeah. Which he's capable of. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden, you whoa, know the wait thing. a second. <laughs> um, but they go through a couple of things, but I like this one. So, Charlemagne the God. Remember when he uh, got Biden in some trouble a couple of weeks back? He's of, a radio personality. Of the Breakfast Club fame. And what did Biden say on there? Oh, you ain't black. If you don't, if, if you vote for Donald Trump, you ain't black. And Charlemagne God beat him up for that. And other, and other black people did on, you know, saying. And white people and Hispanic people. And everyone else, yes. Yes. Um, but Charlemagne God said, said last week that Biden needs to make his pick of a black running mate because he said, we need somebody to vote for. Right now, we got nothing to vote for with just Biden. Mm. And I thought that was interesting because Cornell West is quoted. He's a black professor from Harvard, I think. Um, he's quoted in the Atlantic piece, Biden's got his own problems, it says here. We have to be true to ourselves and acknowledge that Biden is a mediocre, milquetoast, neoliberal centrist that we've been fighting against in the Democratic establishment our whole lives. Um, so a lot of the people that are going to vote Biden aren't very excited about it's it. It's not an endorsement. No, not, <laughs> not really. Not per se. <laughs> not really. So... And then they, they talk about the, the turnout. Biden voters might not uh, get out and vote. The enthusiasm gap is as big as it's ever been in terms of the people that are going to vote for Trump are wildly enthusiastic about it. People who are voting for Biden are, well, they're widely enthusiastic about getting Trump out, but that's about it. Mm. Can you get elected president that way? Isn't that how um, uh, 1920? Uh, 
uh, Hoover? No. Harding. Harding. Isn't that how Harding got elected? Uh, he was I'd not very enthusiastic. Oh, oh, no. No, the the famous line about Harding is he really looked like a president. <laughs> but I remember the people that, that got him nominated and were pushing him said, the, the era of great men as presidents is over. We just need a guy who kind of looks like a president. and let's That's the get greatest campaign manager I've ever heard of. Right, just kind of a property <laughs> manager president. Yeah. Yeah. Look, he won't screw anything up. 99 and days he's handsome. To go. 99 days to go as of today. Uh, he, he takes the job. All right. First thing we need to realize is that our candidate is not great. So we need to eliminate the the, the thinking that great men need to be president. Yeah. Right. Lower of the bar. Well, it's great. How how about uh, our candidate is, is old and uh, is likely to wander off mentally. So let's not do any interviews or answer any questions. And if it works, it works. If you can get elected president that way, you, you would do it. I was just reading an article in Politico about uh, Kamala Harris and how she's, you know, just duplicitous and a fiend and the rest of it. Everybody um, thinks he's, she's the odds-on choice to get it. I, I hear that, although that sounds an awful lot like insular beltway speak I to know. me. I think, I think they know her right. and she's a senator and she's got the highest profile name. Right. If I were a betting man, wait a minute, I am a betting man. If I were a betting man, I would say it's going to be Karen Bass who was big in California politics for a long time. She was the Speaker of the Assembly, as I recall, for a long time until she got termed out, and now she's a, a congresswoman. But she is uh, she's very bright. She is more than willing to stick in the shiv. I mean, she's, she's a... Uh, uh, I hate her politics, but she's a formidable character, no doubt. One hint that it's Kamala Harris is that she has gone away. You just haven't heard a word from her. She's not out there giving any speeches in her interviews and saying anything. Mm-hmm. And they said this has happened a couple of times with other people that were chosen to be vice president. They get the word that, hey, lay low. We're about to announce you. No, don't, don't screw don't, anything don't up. Don't screw anything up. Yeah. As, as soon as you get the nod, you're, you, everything you everything you do is at the behest of the person at the top of the ticket. You don't freelance anymore. Mm-hmm. You're not deciding on your own. Yeah, sure, I'll go on ABC this week and answer some questions. You don't do that anymore. As soon as they let you know. And that could be the case. I think that would be a crazy choice, given the fact that um, she, she got so little black vote when she was running. Oh, yeah. Practically none. Yeah. But, you know, what do I know? They mentioned that Biden still resents that stunt she pulled in the debate where she tried to pass him off as a Klansman. How would you not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, says Politico, it's difficult to overstate the bad blood that flowed between the Harris and Biden campaigns immediately following that June 2019 debate. That was over a year ago. Why were they having a debate that long ago? That wasn't over a year <laughs> what? ago. That was over a year ago? It says June 2019. Are you sure? Yeah, it feels Wake like about up. a year ago. We were talking about that last year. Thank you. Yes, don't you remember? For the we would argue about this stuff and talk about it. Then we'd look up and we actually had it on our big screen here in the studio. Four hundred and fifty-five days till the election. <laughs> then we'd yell at each other over. What are we talking about? Oh, man, the show was so good. Why back are we? Then. <laughs> that was great stuff. <laughs> Why Seriously, were we talking about it? How absurd does it seem now? Pretty darn. That they were having those debates in June of last year. Pretty crazy. What, what do we never want to break? Oh, gosh, oh, yeah, there, I hope there's that's a, over. There was a tweet from Ian Bremmer that I liked. It was the, the whole, I know you're not a racist, but blah, 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 busing. That little girl was me. Right. 
The campaign quickly branded the phrase on T-shirts and boasted about its preparations for her big moment. And it did her zero bit of good. Right. About a day later, though, Biden pointed out uh, Harris has the same views on busing as I do. (laughs) Right. Oh, it was so phony and grandstandy, disingenuous, race-baiting, and the rest of it. And, and, so, yeah, and still ineffective. It. it didn't actually do anything for her. Right. Uh, Ian Bremmer tweeted out yesterday, 100 days until Election Day, which is particularly meaningful because of our base 10 numeric system. <laughs> That's which, some excellent sarcasm. Which we're always joking about. People just like round numbers. It doesn't yeah. mean anything. And because U.S. elections are effing endless, he actually spelled out the word. <laughs> We need more of that. But right. If we're if the, yeah. if that was big moment was over a year ago. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yep. Well, ninety nine days and counting. When's is there a, no debate has been scheduled yet? Nope. A lot of people are pointing that to this like Trump's big hope. I, if it were a normal debate in front of a crowd and Trump can land his lines and all that sort of stuff, but. Man, if it's just kind of quiet in a booth of solitude, I just I just don't see it. All right, tell me if this works. I'm thinking I'm I'm thinking like I'm Biden's campaign manager. I wait until there's been a lot of talk about why there's no debate scheduled. Then I say, look, we're not debating the guy for reasons X, Y, and Z. It'll be a useless waste of time. And then pressure builds to the point where they feel like they have to, and they say, all right, fine, we're not afraid of him. We'll go ahead and do it. Do you think there would be any negative after effects? No. To them dragging their feet as long as possible? Nope. Absolutely not. In terms of the electorate. I've got a really good point on the debates, but I'm out of time. Maybe next hour. If you don't get next hour, check out the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.